Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll get to this passage in just a moment. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to be starting a, a series on the book of Hebrews pretty quickly and looking really forward to that. It's one of the great books of Scripture and so much there. It's also a book with a lot of background that is needed to understand it at times. And so I'm going to, before we start Hebrews, I'm going to do four sermons, yeah, kind of in laying that back, the background and, and uh, so forth before we actually get into it. And the first sermon I'm going to do is on angels because the book of Hebrews uh, deals with angels uh, in a pretty unique way. And a lot of information is there about angels that's found nowhere else. And so I thought uh, in order to understand this because of what Hebrews says, and also showing that the angels, as great as they are, are inferior to the Lord himself. And so as we look at that together, I wanted to give some background about angels. Uh, this is going to just be an overview today, a very quick overview. If you're more interested in angels and demons and the spirit world, we'll be, doing, we'll be dealing with that um, in the uh, Bible the, uh, Training Institute in the fall. We're going to have a course on that going right through the scriptures on what the Bible teaches about these subjects. So if you're interested in more after today, uh, you'll want to make sure you uh, come to that uh, the BTI in the fall. But today this is kind of the table of contents. This is kind of gives you the overview, the layout of what the Bible says about angels. Now angels are they're a big deal today. Um, there are angel crafts and gifts and collectibles. There are uh, the last time I looked at Amazon.com on this, uh, there is almost 2,500 books with angels in the title. Uh, Christian book distributors, exclusively Christian books, had over 400 titles uh, concerning angels. Uh, there's angel uh, boutiques today and newsletters and seminars. Harvard Divinity School has a course on angels. Uh, Boston College has two courses on angels. Uh, Time did a poll a few years ago and found that 69%, almost 70% of Americans believe in angels. Uh, even Hillary Clinton uh, wears a gold angel on her wing on the days when she needs help, which I'm going to guess is quite often. You know, not, not sure, but uh, it might be tattooed on there, but now I don't know. Uh, Uh, the, as Brian mentioned, our, our view of angels is deeply skewed today by uh, our popular culture. Uh, the, uh, the, view that, the views that we have on angels is usually an angel. These beings are very benign, very non-threatening, very fluffy. They're, uh, they're, they're just they're nothing like what the scripture teaches for the most part. Fits very well with that. I remember years ago, I think it was 1996, a movie came out called Michael uh, with uh, John Travolta. And it was uh, concerning Michael the Archangel who had come to earth to do some stuff. I, I don't remember much about it, but I don't think he did this during the movie. So <laughs> I, I, I think that was a different movie. I'm not sure. But um, I remember it wasn't anything like the biblical Michael. And so that just gives you an example of what happened there. Interest in angels has definitely increased over time. Billy Graham wrote a book in 1975 in which he said he had practically... Uh, never heard any, it, it couldn't find any books at all in this, that century on angels. And uh, he said he'd never heard a, a sermon on angels in his life. So if you're in that category, you're, gonna, you're in luck. You're going to get to hear a, at least one sermon on angels today. Um, but uh, even though he'd never heard at that point, 1975, when he wrote his book, had not seen any books on it, 
all that has pretty much changed today. The fascination with angels has really grown over, over time. And that goes along with a lot of other stuff that uh, we find in our culture and other cultures. Uh, in our culture, the paranormal is quite fascinating to people. Uh, people are interested in demonism, all these movies and, and different things about that. UFOs for some folks. Bigfoot, people are looking for him everywhere. Um, then uh, these are unexplicable mysteries that people just don't know what to do with. And so angels fit that category. Islam has, and since Billy Graham wrote his book, has really infiltrated American culture in ways that wasn't true before. And Islam is all about angels and, and demons and imps and genies and spirit beings. The whole, the whole faith of Islam is built on dreams and visions and angels. Uh, and that's partly why there's a lot of talk about that, even in Christian circles, about uh, Jesus showing up or angels showing up and presenting the gospel, which I completely denies happening, but that's another story for another day. But the issue is right now is that these kind of things have infiltrated our culture. In the Christian world, some years ago, Frank Peretti wrote a series of books concerning demons and angels that got everybody in the Christian world all fascinated about angels and demons and so forth. And those books were quasi-interesting, if you like that kind of thing, but keep in mind, if you read them, they're novels, they're fiction, they're not truth. And nothing that, virtually nothing he wrote in those books is based upon the Word of God. And so, uh, as Grant, and, and it also, as people come to uh, leaders and so forth with their experiences and uh, claiming that they've had angel experiences or whatever, and they come to Christian leaders, often Christian leaders will point them to other experiences that people have had to explain what's going on there. And I believe that's a mistake as well. Billy Graham, in his book that I just mentioned, opens up the book with an angel story from the missionary John Patton, back one of my pioneer missionaries. And he tells a story in that book uh, about John Patton, who said at one time his complex, his missionary complex, was surrounded by uh, natives who wanted to kill him and his, his friends, and, uh, but they didn't. All night long they, they expected to die and it didn't happen. And uh, so about a year later, the chief of that tribe of people that were going to try to kill him uh, got saved. And he came to Patton one day and he said, uh, who are those people, who are those big men with swords surrounding the complex there? There were shining people, they're, they look, you know, they're just unusual looking people and they were protecting the complex and that's why we didn't come in there. And Patton said he, there was nobody there and then he concluded it must have been angels that they had seen. Well, folks, I've, I quite frankly don't know what that was, and uh, you don't either. These kind of stories are prolific. They're everywhere. Everybody has an angel story somewhere, and we quite frankly do not know uh, what those stories are about or how truthful they are. They are drawn, almost all of them have no documentation. The eyewitnesses are usually unbelievers, often animist people, spiritist people who, are, who see uh, witches and the spirits behind every tree. Um, the, the stories that come to us are usually fourth or fifth hand accounts. They're, uh, they're, uh, and we're drawing a conjecture and understanding what they are. There's simply no way to prove those experiences. But if you read a lot of modern Christian literature today, or even secular, you find people claiming that angels are showing up and doing all sorts of things for them. You'll, you'll read stories about angels stopping along the side of the road and fixing your flat tire because you needed someone to fix your flat tire. I had that happen once, by the way. I, uh, my, I was driving a van to Chicago. My tire blew out, 
And right behind me came a trucker who came up and fixed my tire. Now, he might have been an angel, but if he was, he was a very well-fed angel. <laughs> yeah. uh, most likely not an angel, but I'm sure he was glad he showed up. Uh, but the issue is I think angels have better things to do than to run around being a celestial AAA organization fixing your tires. When, when we, these, these kind of things demean the pictures of angels, quite frankly. They're interesting. People have, people have stories of all kinds, but they don't tell us anything about angels. So if we really want to know something about angels, we all turn to the one source that can tell us, right? And that's true of every issue we look at here and every issue Christians should ever look at. What does the Word of God say? And once we know what the Word of God says, then we can at least have some handle on how we can deal with stories and experiences and whatever else comes our way. But we have to start with what God's revelation gives us. And so there's much here. As you'll see today, this is, uh, there's a great deal about angels in the Scriptures. And we're going to look at quite a bit of that together today. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, just a general overview. They are their creation, uh, their creation and their existence. Chapter 1 verse 15, he is, in, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that's Jesus. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's angels, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so we have this to just a quick snapshot of the creation of angels. So let's begin to talk about what we know about angels in the scriptures. First of all, they're mentioned about 300 times in the Bible, in about half of the biblical books, 34 books out of 66. They're a distinct order of creation. They're totally distinct from other orders, including ourselves. Uh, they were created probably, apparently, before the physical universe was created. Uh, Job 38.6 seems to indicate that. Uh, and they're created as a host. Not a race of angels, but a host of angels, an army of angels. Uh, we don't know how many angels God created. Uh, it appears to be millions uh, from what uh, we see in Scripture, but we're never told exactly how many. But we know there will be no more angels uh, because uh, they do not procreate. And for our, uh, Scripture never talks of another time when God created uh, more angels or people, either one. They are called, however, in Job chapter 1, verse 6, the sons of God. So in what sense they are the sons of God, we're not told, but probably the fact that God is their creator, and in that sense their father in that way. A couple of myths I would dispel very quickly, which I trust you already know. When humans die, they do not become angels. Now, that little story been running around forever. That doesn't happen. You don't become angels. You're a human, not an angel. And angels don't earn their wings, Clarence. Uh, so <laughs> you don't get that at all. In position and power, they have been created far superior to us. We, we think of a passage of Scripture like uh, Psalm 8.5. It says, yet you have been made a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. The word God there in the New American Standard is translated in other translations as angels or heavenly beings, and that's because it's an unusual use of the word there. It could be translated either. So if it speaks of angels, which I think it possibly does, 
it's telling us that we are created lower than the angels in some ways. And as we go through this today, we'll see the power and the majesty and the greatness and the wisdom of angels is so far superior to ours at the present time. And yet at the same time, we are created in the image of God. Angels are not. Uh, in that sense, we have a superior status, I believe, over even angels because only human beings are created in the image of God. When they were created, angels were holy, they were without sin, and they're created to serve the Lord, which is why the name angels actually means messenger. They're messengers for God. Now let's move on to their nature and personality. A personality is, a, is described as something, someone who has intellect, emotion, and will, then angels have personalities. Angels are, are personal beings. They, they actually exist. They're not... They're not uh, inanimate objects are not wind or, or in that sense they're, they're personal beings they have intellect, emotion and being and, um, and will for example uh, they first of all can think I'll come back to this passage later it's a great one it says it was revealed to them that uh, you were not serving th them, themselves but you and they're talking about people there in these things which you have announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Angels long to study, to research, to understand what the scripture says about our redemption. I'll return to that later. They can think. They can think far superior to us. But there's things they don't understand. They also have emotion. What a beautiful verse. In the same way I tell you, Jesus said, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What a beautiful verse. Think about it. When a sinner repents, when someone comes to Christ, there is joy in the presence of the angels. That doesn't mean necessarily all the angels. As we'll see later on, at least a subset of the angels are rejoicing when someone comes to Christ. And so they have emotions. They also have choices. They can make choices. They have wills. Jude 6 says this, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness by the judgment of the great day. He speaks of angels who have rebelled against God. They made a choice. They chose to go against Almighty God, apparently thinking they could actually defeat him. Satan thought that way. We'll see in a moment. So they made a choice. It was a fatal choice for them, a destructive choice, but they have the, they have the ability to make choices. And so they are, have personalities. Uh, as for the nature of angels, we find a number of things. First of all, they're spirit beings. This is very informative and why Hebrews chapter 1 talks about this. Are they not all ministering spirits, speaking of angels, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Again, I'll come back to this verse because looking in a moment, but I want you to note here that they're, they're ministering spirits. Now, whenever we find angels in Scripture, for the most part, what we find is that they take on some kind of a human-type form or a majestic physical form. And so we know then that angels can take on these physical forms at their, perhaps their own choosing or God's choosing. Uh, whatever that might be, so we know they can do that, but their essence, what they really are, is not physical, they're spiritual. Humans were made in physical form, and we will live in physical form for all eternity. Angels are spirits, and they live in a spirit world different from the way that we live. 
And so that's important to keep in mind as we, we go through this. But we do find angels taking on physical form at many times throughout the scriptures. We also find, and I don't know if this is really important or not, but we find that whenever they're mentioned in scripture, they're mentioned in, a, in the masculine gender. Uh, but angels don't have physical form, and angels do not reproduce. So uh, I don't know if that's really important. It, it is that uh, men, if you call your wife an angel, um, she's not. And uh, that's probably not the best, especially as we go through this material today. You'll see you don't necessarily want to be an angel or call your, you don't want your wife to be an angel uh, by what we're looking at here, not, not the what we're going to see in a moment. But also, if you wives call your husband an angel, which I doubt ever happens, uh, you would be more accurate in the physical, uh, the, the masculine gender. But I don't know if that really plays into anything to speak of at all. Angels do not marry, and they do not die. I don't know if that's connected or not. Somebody got a joke out of that. Maybe, 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 there's, a, maybe there's a connection. Between the two, I don't know. I thought I was going to think, bring that up, but somebody else did. So look at verse 35 here, Luke says, But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like the angels and are the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So they, can't, they do not die and they do not procreate. They do not marry. You don't have children. So angels are a very different host of people, host of created beings unlike us. But they do have incredible power. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a really... Uh, judgment against them before the Lord. You know, uh, when these people today run around talking about angels in a superficial way or, or, or claiming they're battling demons, they don't understand what they're doing. Even the angels, even Michael the archangel was very, very careful in how he dealt with the devil. These are powerful, overwhelming, incredible beings that we're no match for in any sense whatsoever. And so they have great power and we're out of our league to think in any sense that we can match up to them or fight them in a demonic way like much of demonic warfare has been taught for the last 50 years. I want to talk now about classification of angels. Uh, not all angels are equal in power and authority. There seems to be a hierarchy among the angels. We read that in Colossians chapter 1 a moment ago. Uh, and also that carries over to the, to the demonic world as well. Within the, within the demonic world, there apparently is a hierarchy of authority and power among those demons. Now remember, demons are simply fallen angels. These are the angels that fell apparently with Satan um, and chose to rebel against God, waging war against him. Uh, they were then cast out of, uh, out of their, their original place and uh, they are, will ultimately end up in the lake of fire. And they are, we call demons today, or, or evil spirits. As we think about them, there, there is this hierarchy. Here, here are some of the different kinds of angels we have. First of all, there's, there's the archangel. The, Michael, the archangel of Jude 9. The only place that uh, anyone in Scripture is called the archangel, and that's Michael. As far as we know, there's only him. 
Some have suggested that Gabriel might be an archangel, but that is not necessarily true. And it's most likely that, that Satan himself, before he fell, but as we and used often called Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14, may have been an archangel. This is the highest of all the angels. Perhaps Michael and Lucifer, if that was his true name, share that distinction. Michael's name means who is like God. Gabriel's name means the man of God. These are the only two angels named in Scripture. Now you might have heard other angel names, but those come from other traditions. Raphael, for example, comes out of Paradise Lost. Uh, other angel names is there as well. But the only angels ever named in Scripture are Michael and Gabriel, although there apparently are millions of angels. A second kind of angel is the cherubim. Brian read the Ezekiel for us just a moment ago, and it doesn't use the word Ezekiel there, but it does use it in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, referring to the same group of angels called cherubim. Now to show how distorted it, this has become in our thinking, when you think of a cherub, what do you think of? Some chubby little toddler who all, is all cuddly and cute, right? A lot of churches name their toddler department cherubs. Well, if you, if you, when we see, if you read what Brian read, you may not want to name your toddler department cherubs. Uh, they're, a, they're a rough, magnificently powerful group of angels. As a matter of fact, they're, they're apparently the most powerful of all the angels uh, in the universe. Um, they are spoken of is in, with, with their great power in many places. Um, for example, not only Ezekiel, but in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, it says, So he drove the man out of, out and the east of the garden of Eden. He sanctioned the cherubim and the flaming sword, which, it, which uh, turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So he was, the cherubim that were placed there were warriors to keep mankind from going back into the Garden of Eden. We find also they have a place of great honor. We find that the cherubim are over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to have, this is so small, I'm going to turn around and read it. It says, you shall make a mercy seat. This is the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold two and a half cubics long and one and a half cubics wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned Toward the mercy seat. And so over the Ark of the Covenant is what they call the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat, God had fashioned two cherubim that would cover that mercy seat, and He describes them here. They are given that honor in the Holy of Holies of God that they would be there in that particular uh, form that God had them make. What an honor they have. They are the most powerful of God's. Creations, Ezekiel 28 says, Concerning Satan, you were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. And you were on the holy mountain of God. And you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Think of the privileged position that the de Satan, at this point, before he fell, had. The anointed cherub that covers. Uh, the, he, he had the most honored position, apparently, in all of heaven. 
And yet he apparently, maybe because of his honored position, maybe because he thought he was so special, he thought he could challenge God himself. And so he chose to rebel against God and be like God and take apparently one-third of all angels, according to Revelation 12, with him in that rebellion. And he lost it all because he wanted to be like God instead of a wonderful and honored position that he had been given. So he was a cherub at one point. There's another kind of angel. It's called seraphim. Now I want you to go to Isaiah with me, chapter 6. It's up here on the board if you can see it. It's awful small. But I'm going to read from Isaiah 6. And look at this. This is the only place seraphim are mentioned by name. Okay? There are other places that seem to describe them. But this is the only place that mentions them by name. And this is one of those great passages we're familiar with because of what happens here and the worship that's here. But uh, look at this passage with me. Verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was, was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. What a scene of worship, and also the, just demonstrating the majesty of God here. But in this scene, we find these seraphim, as marvelous as they are, their job, their task is to pronounce the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. Only one other time in Scripture is uh, God called holy, and that's found in Revelation uh, I think chapter 5 or 6. It's the only attribute of God that's ever mentioned three times in a row like this. He's never called love, 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 or anything, justice, 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 but holy, 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 three times, speaking of the great holiness. And the seraphim do that. They are given the position of worshiping God. And uh, that's, that seems to be their main task. Also, we find that the, there are this hierarchy of angels that we see here far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in the, this age but in the one to come. Notice the, the, authority, the, the rule, the authority, the power, the dominion uh, and this was what we found in Colossians chapter 1 as well. There seems to be this hierarchy of angels that have different realms of power and position and authority. Principalities, powers, princes, dominions and so forth. And then one more angel, the angel of the Lord, or the angel of Jehovah, found in, throughout the Old Testament a careful examination of all the appearances of the angel of the Lord would demonstrate that this was none other than Christ himself, the Son of God, prior to his incarnation. And so whenever you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this was, uh, this was uh, the Son of God taking on human form or angelic form to come down and do something on the earth during that time. You don't see the angel of the Lord 
in the New Testament because Christ comes in the incarnate form. He comes to the earth and the angel of the Lord does not show up in that form anymore. Well, what are the ministries of angels? Why did he create them? Well, I want to talk about that for just a few moments. Why did he bother to create humans and angels? Two totally different sets of beings. Why, why did he do that? What, what are angels created to do? Well, in reference to God, first, first of all, they have three functions uh, in relationship to God. One is to worship God. We just saw that in chapter 6 of Isaiah. So we see the worship of God, and we see that throughout the book of Revelation and in other places. They worship our God. Secondly, we find that they are ministering spirits and, and servants of the Lord. They minister. Uh, we see that in uh, chapter, Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, other places. That is not the verse I wanted. Uh, matter of fact, that's way off. Let me hang on a second. Uh, okay, just ignore that. Okay. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, it calls them ministering spirits. Uh, go with me to Psalm uh, 103 for just a moment. Psalm 103. There are eight, this this kind of really describes quite well what angels do. They're the agents, agents of God's rule. 103, verses 19 and 20. We read this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty, sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. That's basically what they do. They minister for the Lord. They're mighty in strength, but they perform his word. They're sent forth to do whatever God would have them do. In Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 16, they control the elements of nature. Uh, in, uh, in Mount Sinai and in Genesis and also Galatians 3.19 we find that they deliver the law to Moses and so whatever God would have them do even though they're mighty in strength and majesty they serve God they do God's bidding that's what they do that's in reference to God now in reference to Christ what do they do? in reference to Christ uh, they are involved in many ways and I'm not going to uh, go through all of these with you except to mention them. And if you want to look at these more in detail, look them up yourself. I'll, I'll mention the references. But you can get the manuscript. Uh, a lot of you, about 85 of you, get uh, written manuscripts every week. You can get those if you want them. They're, it's also available on our network, our family network, under the, under the daily thing, the manuscripts there. You can go back and take all of this, go back and look at these passages yourself if you desire to do so. So I'm just going to race through this part and notice that in relationship to Christ, they predicted his, his birth. We saw that in our song today, right? They predicted his birth. They announced his birth to the shepherds. And they worshipped him as well. They predicted the baby. In, in, in Luke, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, uh, Herod is going to come to kill Jesus. And an angel tells them to get out of here. And, and they go to Egypt. And they're protected. They strengthened Jesus during his temptations. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, he, they came and ministered to him in the wilderness when he was tempted. In, Gen in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, they were ready to defend him at the cross. What, what an interesting verse of scripture that is. At the cross, Jesus said, you don't need to defend me. I could call on legions of angels 
who could come and they could destroy this world. You know, the angels were ready. They didn't, he didn't call on them, but they could have come. They rolled away the stone at the resurrection, not because Jesus needed to have an, an exit, but to show the world that the tomb was empty. And they rolled away the stone. They were with him at his ascension when he went back to glory. And they will return with him at the second coming. Let's see if we get this back organized. There we are. Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. When the Lord comes back, all of his angels are coming with him. Millions of angels. And the Lord's kingdom will be set up, and he'll sit on his throne. What does is, what is the uh, angels do in reference to unbelievers? What about unbelievers? Well, let me say this. Angels are totally on the side of, of believers. Their primary involvement with unbelievers is to protect the believer from the unbeliever. And we see that in a number of places. For example, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a, a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, I will, will be rescued. Michael is protecting Israel from the onslaughts of the enemy. In Acts chapter 12, verse 23, uh, angels are involved in judging the unsaved. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. That's one of the Herods. Because he did not give God glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Pretty gruesome idea there, isn't it? And the angel was involved in that judgment. The angels also are, are coming at, the, uh, at the, the second coming. I just mentioned that. But also they're going to be with Christ to bring judgment on the unbeliever. And the field is the world and the, and the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. And the, terror, uh, and the terrors of the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sold them is the devil. And the harvest is at the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So just as the terrors are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be with the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. They're involved when, they, when Jesus comes back and, uh, at the second coming of gathering the unbelievers for a time of judgments. So it's kind of ironic how much interest unbelievers have in angels today when their task toward unbelievers is basically that of judgment. They would not be doing so if they understood what was going on. How about in reference to believers, however? How about you and I who know Christ? Well, they do a number of things. Here's what we know. First of all, they are, they are servants to us. They minister to us. Hebrews 1.14 again. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation? And so for us who are being saved, or who will be saved, they are servants for our sake. That's, what, that's their main task, I believe, at this time, is to render service to you and I. That's their general job description. Now, we do not know exactly how they work, but we know they work for our good. Matthew 18.10 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that, that, that their angel in heaven continually seek the face of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, that verse, along with the one before, when we put those together, is why many people believe we have guardian angels. That there's actually angels that are looking over you in particular. Wouldn't that be kind of cool to think there's a few angels up there watching after you? 
Some of you need some extra duty angels probably. But uh, that, that could be. We, we can't be guaranteed about that. But it's a possibility. They could protect us. When Elijah was surrounded by enemies in the Old Testament, uh, he knew he, he was okay because he was surrounded by angels, but nobody could see those angels but him. And he told his servant, he, he said, Oh Lord, or he said to the Lord, Oh Lord, let my servant see, open his eyes, let him see what's around them. And the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire around Elijah. He was surrounded by angelic warriors to protect him, but only Elijah could see that. And by the way, that's a great contrast to what we see in most angel stories today because most angel stories it's the unbeliever that claims they see things not the godly one complete contrast in the Bible the godly saw and the unbelievers didn't I want to process that a little bit we also find in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that they, they do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it so Hebrews is really important on angels. You may have encountered an angel, but you wouldn't know it. Well, it's unaware, unknowing. They're, they're, they're invisible, or, or, or let's say secret ministers for God to us, and that's how God would have it be. And therefore, we, are, we have to be very careful when people come up with these stories like this. And in Billy Graham's book, at the very end of his book, he talked about a World War II story about the Air Force. And in, in this story, they were told about airmen on a mission who, having been hit, were either incapacitated or dead. These are the pilots. They're dead. And yet their planes kept flying and fighting. In fact, on occasion, pilots in other planes would see a figure still operating the controls. What was the explanation? The Air Chief Marshal said he believed angels had actually flown some of the planes whose pilots said dead in their cockpits. Are you kidding me? Angels don't need airplanes. If they wanted to blow up the enemy, they don't need airplanes. But this is given as an example. And Graham, Graham agrees the angels piloted the planes for dead men in the battle for Britain cannot be proven. No, it can't be proven at all. Uh, we don't need to go to the stories like that. We go to what Scripture teaches. These claims are, are often like the ones like... UFOs and Bigfoots and Big Feet or whatever they are. And uh, God, God wants us to understand what angels really are. And he gave us in the Word of God what he wants us to understand about them. If angels minister in your life, and I think they do, if you're a believer, you're not going to know exactly what they're up to. They're going to be unawares to you. What else do they do? Very quickly, they answer, they're involved in answering prayer. I'm not going to read all that, but when Peter was in prison... And he needed to be set free. Angels came to set him free and answer the prayer of God's people. And uh, they give encouragement. When Paul was on a ship at one point, the Lord sent angels to encourage him and tell him that his life was going to be spared. Uh, angels are calling in right now. Uh, here's one I definitely want to read to you, though. Luke 16, 22. This is the only place in the Bible that says this. Now the poor man, that's Lazarus and the rich man, remember? The poor man died and was, uh, I, I can't even see that, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. The only place in the Bible that says this is here. So we don't want to make a big theology out of it. But apparently at the point of death, angels escort us into eternity, into the presence of God. Isn't that a sweet thought? 
that when you pass from this life as a believer, you don't just go to some place you don't understand, that angels are taking you there? I think it's a sweet thought. And, uh, and it's even, and I'm piecing some things together I can't prove for sure, but if we have guardian angels, if we've had two or three angels watched after you over your whole life, and you pass away, it might be those very same angels that take you into the presence of the Lord at their death. And if they do, they might look at you and say, wow, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> you, you've been a challenge, you know. Uh, I, I'm making some of this up. But it, that this passage of Scripture seems to indicate that uh, our first greeting there is going to be with angels who take us in to, to glory. And that's a, that's a wonderful wonderful thought I think in Matthew 15 Tim in the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents so angels are rejoicing uh, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're, they're thrilled by that they, they care for us to death and they rejoice over the salvation of our souls and yet as great as they are they're not to be worshipped they're not to be prayed to John tried that the very last chapter of the Bible I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who was showing me these things. He was so magnificent. Even the apostle John falls down to worship him. But the angel said to him, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Don't worship anything but God, even though it's majestic, most wonderful of the angels themselves. And then one more verse that we'll close this down with. In 1 Peter 1.12, once again, it was, revealed, it was revealed to them about the redemption, that they were not serving themselves but you in these things, which now they have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is the part I want to focus on for just a moment. Things into which angels long to look. Angels don't understand redemption like you do. When the angels fell, God made no redemptive program for them. You realize that? The, demon, the Son of God did not die for fallen angels. They were doomed and have no possibility of forgiveness or redemption. They will go to hell. The Son of God died for you, human beings made in the image of God, that you would be eternally saved through the redemptive plan of Christ. The angels long to look into this. They, they can read the Bible. They can see what happened, but they can't quite comprehend the redemptive program that God has, has given us like we can. And so I close with that, folks. Angels are unbelievably wonderful beings. And yet angels can never be redeemed. They could never be saved from their sins. Those that fell, fell forever. You were born fallen. You were born in sin. But Jesus Christ died to redeem you from your sins. You're not like the angels. You're redeemable. Christ died to set you free. And so, my friends, I hope you learn a few things about angels today, but I hope also you know this. What the angels long to look into, you can experience through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know forgiveness redemption, and live forever with Him. And that's a wonderful thing. No wonder the angels long to look into it. Pray with me. Father, we thank You again for what You teach us about the angels in Scripture. 
I pray, Lord, this is uh, something that is not just interesting, but very helpful in our understanding of the Christian life and, and living for you, Lord. And I pray especially for the idea of redemption. The angels long to look into this. May this also be something that we are extremely interested in understanding and living out and experiencing. And Lord, I pray if anyone here does not know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of their redemption. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.